Lord, we have already come to you this morning and praised you and entered into your presence. And we're thankful, Lord, that we can come in the name of Jesus this morning to your throne and hear from you. We're thankful for your spirit. And Lord, we're just asking that you would do, as we've sung, that you would meet us here, that you would touch each heart. And we already have, and we thank you for that. And I pray for Bob as he as he preaches your word, that you would speak through him. Lord, that this wouldn't be just a time that we've checked off and moved on with our day, but we would truly, each one of us, desire to hear from you and that you would use Bob as a surrendered vessel for you. Lord, uh, help us to be humble. Help us to be honest with our own hearts and um, seek you and love you with all of our hearts. As the song said, Lord, help us to truly hunger. Draw us, Lord. Lord, we also want to lift up these prayer requests that have been asked for. We pray for the Hertzlers as they travel this coming week. We pray for your traveling mercy. You'd go with them, use them, bless them. Thank you for Amanda's willingness to go and serve. And I pray you would bless her with grace, with your strength, your energy, and use her as a vessel. Um, Lord, I pray that you would go before her now and even of these hearts of these these um, Muslim people that you would be preparing and breaking up that ground and, and preparing conversations and, and giving Amanda the boldness to preach and to speak your word. Lord, I also pray for Timothy and Miriam as they travel, that you bless them and give them your mercies and use them for your kingdom. Help them to, to serve you as they go, even though they're working. Lord, also pray for Trevor's dad and this heart and lung issue. We pray that you would give them wisdom and, and the funds needed and that you would, if this treatment would work, Lord, you would, you would anoint that. And Lord, just also we, we want to remember Abigail and Kawita that you would give them grace, help them to have faith, trust in you, and we pray for healing with the cancer they have. Lord, once again, send your spirit, anoint our brother, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. I have to admit, I, I struggled a bit with the preparation of this sermon. There's, there's typically, in my mind, there's probably far more if you studied it out, but there's typically two different types of way of preaching. There's expository where you're looking at a verse and what does this verse mean and let's break this verse down and how does it apply to our life and then there's evidentially or evidential uh preaching where um basically i'm serving as a prosecutor and a defense attorney and i'm giving all the evidence i can most of which out of the bible most of which are verses after verses after verses as evidence in one direction to another and let you guys become the judge and decide not very good at that latter one um i i would much rather talk about purity today. I'd much rather talk about God's desire for us to follow him today. I'd much rather uh, do such. But uh, it, it seemed to me that that seems to be every time I preach, I'm preaching on that hobby horse. And, and so I thought, you know, I'm going to break out of my fear and I'm going to preach doctrine. And so we're going to have to go through evidence here. And so I had this great idea. I even approached an artist friend of mine and I had this idea. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about predestination. We're going to talk about free will in fact, the title of this is, Do We Have Free Will? I'm going to talk about whether it's God's sovereignty or our free will. And, and I, want to, I want to hit this doctrine. And, and I uh, approached my artist friend and I said, uh, obviously we all believe in free will here. So this is what we're going to do. Is we're going to, I want him to have, uh, draw a piece of paper that I could hand out that had a fortress. 
And in this fortress is going to be the key verse, the pinnacle verse in my mind of what free will is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whoever believes, right? Free will. You have a choice to believe. So that is the pinnacle belief of free will. And I was going to put that in the middle of the fortress. And then outside the fortress, I was going to put a bunch of other verses that we can talk about. Before we go there, though, I, I, I decided not to do that because as I was studying this out and thinking about it, I, I, it's not that easy. <laughs> it's really not that easy. Um, so, I, uh, yeah. When I was growing up, and I probably shared this story with you before, but when I was growing up, um, I believed, and don't laugh, I was a little boy, I believed wholeheartedly that I was the only living human being in the entire world. Everybody else were robots. They were all placed here as an experiment. I was dropped by aliens, and uh, they wanted to see how humans could live here. And so everybody was, like, artificial. And uh, when I wasn't in the room, they just got turned off and laid into a corner someplace. And they had different models because, you know, they grew older. Um, Yeah, it was several years that I believe that. So (laughs) um, I had free will as the only one in the entire world as an experiment of aliens. Ah. That's how long I believed in free will. So today I want to talk a little bit more about I don't believe that anymore, by the way. I firmly believe those around me are mostly real. Um, <laughs> so as I said, I had this thing here, and I, and I wanted to have that verse right in the center. And, uh, and then on the outside of that fortress, I wanted to have the enemies to this thought. Some of these verses that people can point at and say, mm, yeah, you don't really have free will. So I was going to have verses like this one. This is most of chapter nine, uh, uh, was most chapter nine of Romans, starting in verse nine. For this is the word of promise: at this time I will come, and, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one man, even by her father, uh, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born have having done. Have, <laughs> nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It is said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whoever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to, uh, says to the Pharaoh, uh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whomever he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay for the same lump to make one vessel of honor and another of dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long sufferings the vessel of wrath prepared for destruction? And he that might make known the riches of his glory on the vessel of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. 
As he says, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who were not my, uh, not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people there. Uh, there they shall be called sons of God. And it goes on and on and on. It, it, if you look at 9, if you're looking at chapter 9 and you have this mindset of, of we have free will and all you read is chapter 9, you're, you're, you're kind of struggling. You're struggling with the whole free will bit. God says, I'm going to make this vessel of honor and this vessel of dishonor. I'm going to make this this piece of clay into a beautiful flower pot for a young man to be able to give to his betrothed. And this piece of clay I'm going to make into a chamber pot. You know, I mean, it, it seems like it's God's decision, not ours, right? It doesn't stop there. In Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Daniel 4, 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Isaiah Forty-three, thirteen. Even from eternity, I am He, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? And in the New Testament, Acts five, thirty-nine. But if it is of God, then you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. Luke, chapter ten, verse twenty-one. At the very high time. At the very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Back to Acts chapter 18, verse 21. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills. He set sail for Ephesus. It seems an explanation of that. James says this in 4... Uh, 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Matthew 10, 29 through 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Ephesians 1, 11. We're getting pretty dangerous to proving the case that there is no such thing as free will here. Ephesians 1.11 Also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. Acts 17.26 And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on earth the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. As far as God having Full will, and everything is sovereign. I had a friend once, a uh, fellow that was the best man in our wedding, in fact. I went out with him a while back, and he, he was saying he firmly believes in the sovereignty of God. The fact to the point, God just determined I did that before I did it. I mean, that was his mindset. Everything is his determination. Well, you got to grapple with the, you mean Hitler? Mussolini? You, you mean Saddam Hussein? All these things are God's will. Isaiah 45, 6-7. Anybody who's wrestled with this has got to hit this verse. You've got to, so you all have probably opinions on this verse, but I've got to tell you, if you were just studying it for what it says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. 
Folks, I looked up that word calamity. It's translated in the, in the King James 442 times as evil. Well-being and created evil. It's, it's translated 59 times as wickedness. It's translated 25 times as wicked. As mischief, 21 times. As hurt, 20. As bad, 13. As trouble, as 10. As, you get the idea? It's not, it can't, we, you can't just easily say, God is love. God has created light. God has created all things good. All things good come from the Father of lights. We can say all that. But it seems like we also have to say that God is completely in control and he creates darkness. He creates those hard times. It, again, I was going to put all these verses on the outside of that fortress. In Philippians 1, 27-29, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whenever I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and of one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. All so far so good as far as free will. And not fr- uh, frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, that for, that uh, salvation, that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's easy for us to point out, because, well, it's been granted that you could suffer. No, it also says it's been granted your very belief is from him. We all know that one verse, right? It says, no one can come to the Father but through me, and no one can come to me unless drawn by the Holy Spirit. It does seem like. We even sang a song this morning. My wife, my wife was elbowing me during uh, uh, one of those hymns. The first hymn that you sang, it said there that, that what did it say? <laughs> Yeah, we can't come to the other and and we have this that's in the Bible, and we we believe this. So, free will? Do we, can we just walk down the street and not be drawn by God? I mean, it seems like it's clear that there is some sovereignty of God in all this. Genesis forty-five, verse five. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before before you to preserve life. Y'all remember the story of Joseph there. Romans eight twenty-eight. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And in John fifteen sixteen, you did not choose me. <laughs> How do you fight with that? If you truly want to hold on to this, I have free will to choose God or choose evil. For you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, it may be given to you. Now, there, there's context here. There's things we can talk about. That's specifically speaking to several group of people that were chosen, uh, disciples, apostles, etc. Um, maybe it's not talking about the grand theology of everybody being chosen. You have to be chosen, and therefore there are those who are chosen for destruction. Um, there's lots of things to say in context of all of those verses. And that could have been my sermon. We, we could have just been nice and safe in that. But I, I really have a feeling... But my problem, our problem, if I can do this without thinking about how to do it, um, is that we put God in a box. This is how I believe, and we're going to put God in a box. Now, there's a problem here. Let's just discuss this. Let's come. Let's reason together. Let's discuss this. There's a problem. Can you all show me, 
I won't shame you. But can you all show me by the raise of hand, who here knows that ponzettas are poisonous and dangerous for small children? Really? Wow. There's been a lot of education recently. When I was growing up, that was just it. Poinsettias, you know, the red, the red-leafed plants for you get around Christmas. Highly poisonous, will kill children, have killed children for years, keep them away from small children. I mean, you just know that. Did you know that that's not true? <laughs> that that was a, a British general who in India uh, had a small child die after eating a poinsettia, and since he was a British general, it just spread all over the world that that's what the case. Well, it's not true. There's no poison in poinsettias. I wouldn't put it on a salad, but there is no poison in it. We in the Western Christian world have accepted certain beliefs that were taught by people who didn't truly love God, Constantine, by people who loved God but had a real strong doctrine they had to defend. And so they grabbed a bunch of scriptures and things out of context and things like Augustine. And then you get really up to Calvin and we really have problems. In the Western church, we have accepted just as things are true because of things that Calvin said, even though we know that Calvin was preaching out of a wrong direction. If you go to the Eastern church, like, for example, this is a good example. If you ever get a chance to listen to David Rousseau's teaching on the Trinity, perfect example of what I'm talking about. Our Western understanding of the Trinity is completely different than the Eastern Church, and the Eastern Church is closer to the original church. There's a lot of unthinking, unlearning that we have to do on certain topics. So, why I'm sharing that right now, why I'm sharing that is that uh, uh, there was a lot of teaching by Calvin that came into here. I was going to try to explain the context and meaning of those verses and then I was also going to talk about some character studies. I mean, we really, we hit a verse about Pharaoh, but think about it. There's some character studies that we could hit that could be on the outside of that fortress of free will that we would have to look at. Pharaoh, he hardened his heart. Um, we could talk about Judas, the son of perdition. What, could he have said, yeah, I don't want to do that. I want to follow Christ. I've been with this man for three years. I've seen miracles. I, this is the guy. I mean, is there a chance that Judas could have not fulfilled his role in the salvation story? Uh, Job, although that, Job is a real strong one for both sides. I mean, he exercised free will. But on the other hand, there was a lot of planned things that happened there that God allowed to happen, that, that God's sovereign will happen. I mean, that, Job's a hard one to look through. Abraham, Joseph, we, we read a verse about him. There's character studies we could have gone through as well as those verses. We would have looked at Romans one twenty eight, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind or a, or a depraved mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, and the like. And in the end, we would have to conclude what we believe as a church, what we believe as Anabaptists, what we believe as Western Conference, Eastern Conference, whatever. What we believe about the free will is this, but again... We're putting God in a box. He doesn't seem... I'm going through scriptures, guys. i got to be honest. I don't know. I don't know about this free will. I know that there's some exercises of free will. I, but there's also... It just seems like God cuts it through history and he says, I want it done this way and it's going to be done that way. If I have to harden people's hearts or whatever. And I just I have to wrestle with these things. And so I, I couldn't preach what I wanted to preach. You know, let's look on the other side. I, I, just think, I just gave you guys a ton of scripture that prove 
we don't have free will in salvation. On the decision of free will. Okay. Joshua 24.15 says this. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods of your fathers uh, saved, uh, served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Ammonites whose uh, land you dwell. But as for me and my household, serve the Lord. Seems like there's a choice. This is John chapter 7, 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, if anybody's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking out of my own authority. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It doesn't sound like God sovereignly chose who's going to listen and who's not going to listen. 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I I guess I won't raise hands. I'll raise my own hand. How many times have you been in a situation of temptation? God has provided a way out, and he went, the price is too high for that. I can't confess. I can't step into the light. I can't can't do whatever it is God has clearly given me as a way out. This, This seems like there's a free will there. There's a choice there. I can take this off, off ramp or I can choose to stay on this road to destruction. Second Peter 3 9, the Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise to some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. If God has sovereign will, what's that verse even doing in the Bible? It just seems like they're saved. But that all should reach repentance. Second Timothy 2 26. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And again, that's a good one for context. You might want to look it up later. Second Timothy 2.26. Deuteronomy 30.19. Uh, 30, I call heaven and earth again. This is a verse. I've said this probably ten times up here. This verse was in, uh, in our wedding. <laughs> I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Hold on to that. Can you just kind of highlight that and put that over here? We're going to talk about that later. Hold on to that verse. That you and your offspring may live. Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Sounds like a choice. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Hebrews 11.6, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. It's a free will verse. Isaiah 65.12, I will destine you to the sword. I'm still talking about free will here. How is this possible? I will destine you to the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter, because when I called you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in the eyes, in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. Here's a kind of a balanced verse here. We've got God's sovereign will taking place after man's free will failed. 
It's a spectrum. I, I really do see it as a spectrum. You may disagree with me. I, I am not going to stand up here and say this is what we believe because the Bible is so clear on so many different levels, on so many different points of view on this thing. But I do want to say this. The early church, in the early church, it was clearly taught that there is no such thing as human choice in the matter of salvation. Before you all start throwing stones, I'll say it this way again. It was clearly taught that there was no choice in whether we accept salvation or not. It was a God's sovereign will thing because all of our flesh was completely corrupt and the only thing that was good within us is the spirit that's trapped in the evil flesh. Now, does anybody recognize that teaching? Gnostics. It was the Gnostics' teachings. And so much of when we read the early church writings, much of their writings are in response to some heresy. So obviously there's going to be a lot of early writings here. Before we go into that, though, I'll say who teaches that today. I appreciate these people. Can I say that at the beginning before I do these two quotes? The two teachers I'm about to quote, I appreciate their teachings. I listen to them. I really appreciate what they have to say. One of them the most articulated stance on end times theology I've ever heard. And I really appreciate what he has to say about it. And it's not Steve Gregg, by the way. So, <laughs> but, but I always tell you that these two guys, I like them. This church has even handed out sermons from the first guy I'm about to quote. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian because you don't believe in this free will thing or God's sovereign thing. It, how it works out in your life is what I would say. Let's not divide the church unnecessarily. But let's try to see... If in the thinking here we can come up with what we believe or what we think personally, maybe not as a corporate being, but but let's just think of it as anyway. One of this God sovereignly versus our free will. The first snag you hit is this total, this idea of total depravity, something taught by Calvin, right? Total depravity is the first of the five points of Calvinism. Paul Washer defines total depravity as the doctrine that fallen man is unable to love, obey, or please God. Total depravity teaches that an unsaved man is completely incapable of loving or obeying God. It is also known as total inability. Your inability to love God. If you're, if you're not saved, you can't be saved. Unless God quickens your heart. R.C. Sproul really appreciate this guy. Don't agree with his stance on this, but anyway, R.C. Sproul Stated it this way, it is because of this condition that the verdict of scripture is heard. We are dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1. We are sold under sin. Romans 7.14. We are in captivity to the law of sin. Romans 7.23. And by nature, children of wrath. Ephesians 2.3. Only by the quickening power of the Holy Spirit may we be brought out of the state of spiritual death. It is God who makes us alive as we become his craftsmanship, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. By quickening, scroll is meaning that a non-believing fellow walking down the street is incapable of choosing or even seeing the goodness, the holiness, and the perfect God's offer of salvation. The Apostle Paul does write that without this, this is not scroll anymore. (laughs) The Apostle Paul does write that without Christ we are slaves to sin. Romans 6.20. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Again, Ephesians 2.1. 
The Bible clearly teaches that human beings are depraved. We inherit a sinful nature that tempts us to do evil. We are all committed to sin and therefore stand guilty before God, deserving death. Romans 6.23 There is no righteousness. There is no righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.10 Without Christ, we are depraved sinners in need of a Savior. But here's the, here's the step here. Calvinism takes it one step farther. He takes it to such an extreme that to say that human beings are utterly incapable of believing in, obeying, or pleasing God. By doing so, Calvinists remove free will from the equation. We are not capable of making a free will decision to follow Christ. Salvation cannot be a basis of free will and must instead be on the basis of God's choosing who is saved and who is not. I hope you get that little that little We are truly sinful, and there is a, a an awakening, if you will, by the Holy Spirit, a calling by the Holy Spirit. But if we truly say we have no choice in us, unless God acts more so than what He already did in offering the plan of salvation to everybody, then then what we're doing is we're saying that God only chose that person to be awakened and that person not to. We're back to that that clay is meant for a flower vase, that one meant for a chamber pot. We've we got to be careful with, with what we say about us being incapable of choosing. If we believe that we are incapable of choosing God, then it follows suit that he has made the choice. That we cannot believe and we are incapable. Remove total depravity from the picture and the whole structure of Calvinism collapses. If man is capable of choosing God, salvation does not need to be predetermined by God and can be on the basis of our free will decision, our belief in Jesus Christ. Stated clearly in Romans 10, 9-11, that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a call. This is a this is truth. God saves people by the foolishness of preaching. There is, there is a choice when a person says something from this pulpit, says something in a conversation, says something over the radio, says something on a billboard. There's a choice that we can say, God, is this, is this something you're saying to me? I, I, I want to change. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Depravity, utter, utter evil humanity was taught in the early church by the heretics, the Gnostics. And there's been these response here, and here, here's some of the responses. Here's some of the quotes. Again, the Gnostics taught you're incapable of accepting God because you're the only good in you is trapped within this evil flesh and it can't go past it. Justin Martyr, probably one of the earliest modern quotes here from 100, he said this, uh, Let some suppose from what has been said by us that we say that whatever occurs happens by a fatal necessity because it is foretold as known beforehand. This too we explain. We have learned from the prophets and we have hold it to be true that punishments, chastisements, and good rewards are rendered according to the merit of each man's actions. Now that this is not, now if this is not so, then all things happen by fate. Then neither is anything at all in our own power. For it is predetermined that this man will be good and that this other man will be evil. Neither is the first one meritorious or the latter man to be. And again, unless the human race has had the power of avoiding evil and choosing good by free choice, they are not capable, they are not accountable, rather, for their actions. 
Um, there's some more here, but for time's sake, I'm going to skip. Irenaeus says this, but man being endowed with reason and in this respect similar to God, having been made free in his will and with power over himself, he himself can only cause that uh, is himself his own cause that sometimes he becomes wheat and sometimes he becomes chaff. Tertullian, I find then that man was constituted free by God. He was master of his own will and power, for a law would not be imposed upon one who did not have the power to render that obedience which is due to that law. Nor again would the penalty of death be threatened against sin if, a, uh, if contempt of the law were, were possible to a man in the liberty of his will. Man is free with a will either for obedience or resistance. And, and there was, like I said, there was two or three more that, that the early church was saying, you have free will. There is free will in the acceptance of, of salvation. If you believe still somewhere in the back of your mind that all flesh is totally evil, if everything I say here today is just a bunch of words, I almost guarantee you're all going to remember this next part because it shocked me tremendously. This is a heavy thinker, but I'm warning you, think deeply about this next part, Okay. If, if there is not free will in us, if there, if we are condemned to walk in our sinfulness until God awakens us, if we truly are not capable of accepting God, what does this say about Jesus coming in all humanity? He was all man, all God, but he was all man. If he was all man, then he had inability to accept God until his father awakened him or the Holy Spirit awakened him. That doesn't work, right? I mean, think of this. It says this, um, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, uh, the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the Spirit of the Antichrist, Whoever you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Jesus was totally human and tempted in all ways as man. Jesus was tempted. Scripture is clear that the temptation of Christ was not just a meaningless charade, but it was real serious temptation. Scripture says, For if we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but... um, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with him, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sins. Have you ever thought of the etymology that James taught about what temptation is? In the light that we're talking about Jesus being human. Listen to this. James says this, but each man is tempted. Was Jesus tempted? Was he human? But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now the etymology goes on. It talks about you know how that how that conceives and how it gives birth and brings death and etc. Jesus had to have human desires to be tempted, or else he wasn't fully human. If that's the case, he had a free will. To say, no, I, I don't want to follow that. Because if he had sin when he went to the cross, the whole plan falls. He had to have a desire 
in his heart that the devil used. It wasn't just devil, the devil going, he probably would appreciate being king of the world. He probably, after 40 days of fasting, would like to have a piece of bread. I don't think the devil's doing that. There was a desire in Jesus' heart that the devil somehow knew. And he was working on those desires that were in Jesus' heart. He was fully human. If he really didn't suffer temptation, if we were to say that he, that in his, in his human form, he didn't have that part of his human form that had free will, that he had to follow everything, then then fine, that that's, would agree with Augustine's uh, original sin theory. That would agree with Calvin. But he did have free will. And to say that he wasn't tempted, then that's to say that, according to James, he either sinned or he didn't, he wasn't human. You have to accept the fact that he had free will and not temptation. He had to be able to say no to that because it was a bad temptation. It was something that he didn't want to follow. We clearly believe that we are born with free will and salvation comes from God as a gift and we do the work of receiving it through our free will to choose him. I, I, I think I can honestly say that. I think we all believe that we have free will to receive ten, uh, salvation. Here's a whole other part of the sermon. <laughs> I step on the clutch and, and, and change gears a bit. We have free will in, in the idea of salvation. I, I I will stand with anybody and talk to them about it. I do believe that um, R.C. Scroll and and um, and other people and Calvin, of course, were, were wrong on whether we can accept them or not. But let's talk about this other issue of free will. You know, there's another issue of free will: our day-to-day lives. Salvation is eternal, and that's a huge topic. And for just a minute, I want to move that topic over, if possible. And let's just talk about the day-to-day. Did you know? In my study, I found this. We're not the only ones to talk about whether we have free will or not. This is the topic that's discussed in the secular world. Are we subject to our nature or are we subject to our nurture? Do we actually have free will or don't we have free will? Um, I got some great quotes here. Uh, 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 One thing, there's a a quote. uh, You know uh, the fellow Edwards, uh, Jonathan Edwards, the fellow who wrote The Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. So his doctrinal belief would have been the Puritans. The Puritans clearly believed that uh, we have no free will whatsoever, that everything is sanctioned by God. They were really strong on that Calvinistic view. Um, But as far as the day-to-day free will, he's famous for this quote. He says, do you really think you have free will? Jonathan Edwards was, was teaching that that. Because of the village that you were raised in, the expectation of the society that you're in, because of the, what your mom and dad put on you, because of what the church put on you, because of what the government, the law has put on you, all of that says you, all of your actions are predetermined. You don't have a choice. Does anybody here really think they had a choice whether they're going to come to church this morning or not? That's what he's talking about. It's an expectation of your society. People would be looking around and going, where's Bob? I thought he was preaching today. I didn't really have a choice. It was predetermined for me by a phone call a couple weeks ago. Do you mind preaching on, on the 5th, 4th, whatever, whatever the day is? It was predetermined for me. So do I really have a free will? I could have said no. I could have whatever. But uh, really, at the end of the day, I'm going to do what people expect me. I'm going to do what I'm, I'm programmed to do, as a, if I will. Um, 
Jonathan Edwards would, would have said this. He would have said that uh, it would lessen God's sovereignty. It would show it as God not being absolute and universal if we had free will in our day-to-day business. Again, moving aside the salvation issue, we're just talking about how we talk to each other, how we act, what jobs we do, where we move, who we marry, all those things. Are they predetermined or not? Um, this free will. And uh, uh, Einstein says this. This is great. Can you listen to this quote? Einstein, not a Christian, not even Jewish. Raised Jewish, but not Jewish. Einstein, very intelligent man, didn't even know how to comb his hair. I mean, there's a lot of things there that he, he had going for but He has this great quote. Listen to these words. This is awesome. A human can very well do what he wants, but cannot will what he wants. A human can very well do what he wants. So you, you're doing what you think is free will. You're doing what you think you want to do, but you're really driven in his opinion. You're driven to do that. And it's not him. Descartes and uh, um, uh, another French philosopher, I forget his name, um, but they, he basically said the same thing. He said that it's it's we think it's free will, but really it's not. We're acting out all these different things. Let's get scientific. Real thick study. I had to read through this two or three articles on this guy, and it was really hard, and it was controversial, but I tell you pretty much now everybody's accepted this because they've done this experiment over and over and over again. But in the 70s, a guy named Benjamin Libet, a psychologist at the University of California in San Francisco, wired up the brains of these volunteers. And he did this. He said, before you use a bunch, it's a panel. It's, it was my dream when I was a kid. It would be great. You know, you turn these little flip, slip, switches and these lights and the, they turn on sounds and they turn on lights, right? So you can imagine this panel in front of you. And he wired up the brain of these volunteers, two different sections of the brain. The part of the brain that's responsible for thinking, making choices, and the part of the brain that moves things the action part of your brain, right? And he figured out through all this, and it's been confirmed over and over again in every these studies, that as these people had these free choice, he didn't say flip that switch or do that. He just said just flip switches and buttons. The brain, a half a second before the decision, the physical brain before the thought process made the decision for him. So, so in other words, the, the action to move to this side was triggered before the thought said, I'm going to turn that switch on. It wasn't a free will issue. It was the, it was the muscle memory doing things as the brain caught up going, I'm thinking this. Is that making sense? This is, it was really deep article and I had to go through. I'm trying to, trying to get it down to a level where I can understand it a little bit better. But in other words, their argument was there really is no free will. You're basically going to do these things because your body, your mind, your, your, Muscle memory, all these things take over. That's why, you know, you buy candy bars at the cash register, and that's why they put all these impulse buyers things up there. It's because you're not thinking to the store, I'm going to go get candy bar. Oh, candy bar. Oh, it's sugar free. Of course. You know, I, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to do those things. So all these muscle memories, these conditionings, these base human fight or flight, the, um, the, there's a 14th century, I think this was Descartes. I'm not totally sure, but there was a, uh, 14th century philosopher who said this, we are condemned to our free will. It's a condemning thing. We are going to follow our free will, is what he says. We have the flesh to follow. We've got all these things. But here's the point I want to really stress. We were created by God in his image. There is a part of him in us, created a little lower than the angels to exercise dominion over the rest of his creation, his earth. All this 
non-free will stuff aside, God places a new spirit in us. God gives us the words to say when placed in a corner. His spirit walks beside us, and we have his word to guide us and light that lights our path. Our free will to choose him starts the process of us becoming a new creation, freeing ever so slightly from the confines of our bodies and our motivations. As we get a new mind, as we get a new heart, as we get a new focus, uh, we were watching the Valiant Man series, and he was talking about creating new neural pathways. You know, your flesh goes, oh, I see this, I want to do this. And we got to recognize that's evil. We can't do that. I'm going to choose, every time I see that, I'm going to eh, go over here. And, we, and, and the more we focus our, train our brains to do things, we have that option. But this is the bigger thing, is the more we focus on Christ, the more we read his words and get his mind in our heart, the more we pray and interact with the Holy Spirit, the more we, we enter into worship because he inhabits the worship of his people, the more we do all those things, our predeterminedness changes. Our day-to-day lack of free will because we're muscle-memorying through our day those impulses that come and make us to do this or that, those impulses get changed to be more like Christ. You know that song, I, I don't have time and I'm not going to sing it in front of you because it would be really embarrassing at this moment for some reason. But I, I want more of Jesus, more and more of Him, that song. I, I want to be more like Jesus. So I'm going to give Him more of me. I, I'm going to give Him more of my responses. This response is not good, that response is not good. I, I'm going to give Him more. And a lot of, a lot of spoke, I spoke this morning... I'm sure a lot of you are going, you know, great Bob, but you know, it sounds like let's debate how many angels can dance on the pinhead. You know, what, what, what really does this matter if we have free will and we don't have free will? If we're going to follow God, thank you very much. You could have just said that and we could have been done with all this and, and my throat wouldn't be so raw right now. We could have got through all of that if you just cut to the chase. But I want to go all through all of that to realize that we have this precious gift of free will that he's given us as we become more like him. Our free will becomes more like his heart and his desire. Realize, I believe what Einstein said. I do. I think we are conditioned to do certain things. And I believe that we can give that conditioning over to God and allow ourselves to be conditioned to do the right things. It's like what he said, uh, when when you get pulled in front of a a court, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'm going to give you the words. I think that process happens as we give more of ourselves to him. When Roger gets on the phone with somebody, I think that process takes place. I think he can probably be more willing to argue with somebody and debate them than to, to uh, point out truth and love. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit comes and he's been trained and he's thought and he's purposely done that. And I think we all have that ability and we need to do that. But um, let, uh, um, let me say this. Let me say this, that there... There is a lot to say about how you were raised. If you're under the thumb of a judgmental parent, you're probably going to grow up judgmental. There's, there's a lot of go-to things that happen as we're raised. Did you know that scripture when it says there in that last book of the Old Testament, when it says that God has given marriage for what reason? Everyone tell me. What was, what's the reason for God's bringing people together for marriage? For a godly seed. Think about that verse. He's not just saying, I want more of my people. He's saying, I want godly marriages to create an atmosphere of godliness so that these children 
have these predetermined, if you will, this lack of free will in their life to follow good, to follow God. Gentlemen, if you're angry in the house, you're fighting against God. He created a family to raise godly seed. And as we exercise flesh in our anger, and I'll be the first one to say, I'm the one who needs to hear this more than anybody else here. But as I exercise angry in the ho- uh, anger in the household, I am creating a lack of free will in my children that they have to fight against to get to back to what God wants for them. Because God created us not for me to exercise my anger, but to exercise godliness. Women, if you're overbearing, if you're nagging, if you're resisting grace and just demonstrating grace to your children, that's something that they have to fight through to get back to the will of God for their lives. You're creating a lack of free will that's godly. They're going to have a conditioned will no matter what. Is it a conditioned will to serve God and to follow God? Or their conditioned will is to, to follow their flesh? And I pray that God would bring them back and, and do that. Because God did something else too. He created this, not this building. He created this fellowship, this, this group of people as a one-two punch. Ladies and gentlemen, daddies and mommies, you create that atmosphere What we do as a fellowship is we create a second layer of that atmosphere to encourage each other every day to follow God, to empower the saints, to equip the saints. We participate with the Holy Spirit and what we come up here to preach, what we share at the fellowship meal. Are we talking about, oh, this is a long time, this is referred to a long time ago. Are we talking about Fords or are we talking about what God has done in somebody's life? Are we talking about that healing the other day or that need for healing or that need for prayer or I prayed the other day and this happened. I, well, this is silly, but I lost a quarter and I prayed. And psh, there it was. Are we building faith in one another? Are we encouraging each other? Because that's that second layer. Godly seed raised there. Encourage each other every day. That, that, that provides that lack of free will that turns automatically to God before it turns to the world. We're fighting against that flesh. For the love of Christ controls us. Second Corinthians 2.14 For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Encourage that new creation within each other. How have you been praying? How's your prayer life lately? What have you been struggling with lately? What can, is there anything I can pray for you? We can go on and on about that. Um, uh, boy, I just like shot right through it, so I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Um, so, in the house, in the godly home that we're talking about, in, the, in this, in this uh, uh, godly seed atmosphere that we're trying to create, can I encourage you, the peers that you allow in, uh, I'm not saying don't minister to people. We've had people stay in our house for months who probably weren't the best influences. But your response to those people need to be part of that godly, godly atmosphere. 
But the peers, the children who play with your children, the the, uh, videos or the radio stories or even the puzzles you put together, you're focusing on these things, right? The children's stories, all that stuff. Remember, that's part of that atmosphere. And if you allow stuff to come in there, it it will eat away (laughs) years worth of training in just one afternoon of a child being a child of a flesh. And this child's invited to play with your children and all of a sudden all that godliness that you tried and you have to work back because there's this, this natural pull of the flesh and we gotta get back into that atmosphere. So keep that in mind. Um, this, this one verse, I want you to think about one part of those little verse and I'll, I'll end here. Don't, don't be too scared about the time. Uh, but it says this. Paul so eloquently said it this way. In First uh, Corinthians fifteen thirty three through thirty four, uh, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not uh, having the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. Some some don't have the knowledge of God, and I'm saying that to you guys because you should know this. You should be able to to share the knowledge of God with your children and your children's friends and everybody that's in your sphere of influence. And it's to your shame that those people don't know God. There's a shame that you're allowing this influence coming in. Don't, don't allow that to happen. And I would say if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if, if you're an older sibling, if you're, if you're somebody who's thinking about getting married someday, if you're somebody thinking about, oh, I want to have a friend. I'd like to have a friend. You know, if you're any scope of the Christian belief in the Christian body, I would say, think about this. Think about that part of the verse. Do not be deceived. Evil, evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness. Be awake to righteousness. Right living. Right things. Right influences. Right things that you're bringing in. Awake to that because that is not only going to make you have lack of free will to do good, but it's going to create those around you, that, that atmosphere for them to have that nature that they can, uh, that they can start serving God. And I'll throw this in uh, a little bit, that God is bigger than all of our bad choices. Uh, I, we, we could discuss um, the issue of Paul and Peter. I think I said this to somebody, and somebody were like, eh, I don't know if I believe that, so maybe it's not as universal as I believe. But I think that Peter was called to be the minister to the Gentiles. I, I do. I, I look at the story in, in Acts it seems like he made a lot of headway. He went. Through, he worked through a lot of cultural issues, and, and and I think God was preparing him for a ministry to the Gentiles. And I think somewhere along the line, he blew it. And God said, "You know, I, I, you're human. I get it. <laughs> you minister to the, the Jews. That seems to be where you're at. I'm going to I'm going to raise up this other fellow named Paul, and he's going to be the minister to the Gentiles. I think Peter missed out. I think he really did." Maybe that's not the case. Maybe that was God's plan all the way. I, maybe the sovereign will of God was that, that whole story would happen. But I would say that he missed out. But I can say this. Clearly, there's another example of that in the Scripture. In the Old Testament, God said, you're going to all be my priests. You're all going to be my, 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 my people. You're going to be my priests. You're going to be my ministers. Every single one of you. And then Moses goes up in the mountain, and he does a thing, and they come down, and here's all these people dancing around and Yuck. And they're worshiping yuck. And there, and there's all this grossness going on. Except for one family. What was that family? The Levites. And then what does he say about the Levites? 
All the way through the old story, the story, he, he says, your inheritance is the Lord. How would you like to hear that if you were from the, the tribe of Judah? Your inheritance, Levites, is the Lord. You're going to be my people. You're going to be my kings. You're going to, not kings, you're going to be my priests. You're, you're going to be the ministers. Your family and your family, because they didn't participate in all of that. So God's choice, his sovereign will for every single Jew to be that, got changed because of somebody's decision not to participate in evil. And, and if you have already made mistakes, if you've already been angry at your child, and whatnot, God can change that. God can, God can work through that, and he can work it in such a way that it becomes beautiful, and it, becomes, it goes down and down and down. A verse I asked you guys to highlight earlier, it talks about your children. It, it, submit <laughs> to God, and he will watch over your ways, and there will be a, 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 can be a change in your family. Nothing's lost. I, I, I feel like I maybe said more than I should. I feel like I, I didn't say enough. Um, I don't walk walking away from the pulpit with that feeling, but uh, God is good, and he, he'll, he'll put the, the, the caulk in, in, in all the cracks of the stuff I left behind up here, right? So let's, let's pray. Father, um, Lord, it's, it's your will that we love you. It's your will that we submit to you. And, and Lord, I, I fight against my own will so often. Um, and this morning we're kind of learning, Lord, that uh, my will may not be truly me. My will might be uh, that, that lack of free will, that it might be just nature and nurture that, that's happened in my life. And Lord, I just want to submit to you and say I want to be a new creation. I want to be all new. <laughs> so I've got a lot of baggage that needs to be let go. And Lord, I thank you for your words. I thank you, Lord, for your, your wisdom and all these great things. And pray, Father, that you just fill our lives with your love and a direction and a purpose and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. If, if you want, I just want to leave you one verse here, this first page, one verse. If you're like, Bob, I'm more confused now than I ever was before you got up there to talk. Let me just say it this way. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Easy to remember, right? The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may do all the, wor- uh, the words of the law. I'll just say this. If you didn't understand a lot of what I had to say today, it was just too theological. It was too out there. If there's anything, one thing, grab it. Because there's some things that God says, I just don't want to share with you right now. But this I do. So what, whatever I said today, just one or two words. <laughs> um, hold on to those and let God grow them in your life. Let God. Thank you.